our worship team knows this, but words really matter to me. So when, uh, when we're singing, I like to sing songs that actually make sense, right? Uh, because sometimes worship music uh, occasionally throws out phrases that most people in the room will sing out loud, but they're like, I have no idea what we're talking about. But in this case, you know, you can't get away from that message. I want to give you my all, Lord. And so when you're singing out loud, I want to give you my all, Lord. I mean, you have to actually process, what does that mean? What, is, what are they really saying? What am I really singing here? God, I want to give you everything. I want to give you my all. It, it really reflects back to that verse we said last week, Matthew 6, that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be given to us as well. But we have to start with his kingdom. So what are we willing to give up? And uh, are, is there anything this morning that we're holding back? And so I thought as we begin, I would just kind of, reflect and pray some of those words to you and you think about what it is in your life that maybe you're holding on to. God, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you and to celebrate you. And, and Lord, the words of that song, really, they're, they're a commitment. They're a, a call. God, you have our all. You have all of us. You can take every part of us. God, that means our thoughts, our habits, our, our, our schedule how we give, how we love, how we serve. And so, God, if there's anything that we're holding back, whether it be guilt from the past or, or whether it be a lack of forgiveness in the, in the present or whether it be anxiety and fear for the future, God, whatever it is today, I just pray that we do give it all, that, God, literally we say, Look, we, don't want, we don't know what to do with this. There's some things we can't control. And so, God, we just want to give you those things today, and we, we want to honor you. And Lord, we love you, and we, we thank you for just that commitment that that song calls out of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you guys a picture today that I saw online. And, and I want you just to, just to actually take this picture in, okay? Really reflect on what's happening here. Look at the, a, the actions of the people around what's going on. Here we are at a ball game, and this uh, son apparently is completely oblivious to what is happening, Right? He, ha- he was obviously texting or he's on his phone in some way. And uh, the, the dad there is next to him. Everybody else flinches. You see that? But the dad puts his arm out in front of his son just at the last possible second and protects him. And uh, while everybody else moves away, the dad moves in. I just think this is a fascinating picture because... When I think about God, our Father, I think about Him as protector, as the Bible says, provider, sustainer. And when I think about things like this, I see, well, there's a Father who is protecting His Son. You know, one of the ways God protects us, you you guys do believe that God is for our good, don't you? I mean, the Bible is very clear that God loves us all. And so when He instructs us through His Word, He's instructing us for our good. He's protecting us, shielding us, caring for us. He is our provider. He is sustaining us. And so when it comes to this topic that we're talking about this month, which is finances and resources, sometimes we have an immediate reaction like, oh, no, somebody wants something from me. The way you should see this instead is is to read it like the rest of the word of God, which is God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to provide for you, to protect you, to sustain you. And so we're in this series called Living Beyond, and it's a very important series, whether you're 7 or 70, because what we're talking about is what Jesus talked about. How do we deal with finances and money and resources and 
of the 38 parables that Jesus told in the gospel, 16 deal with how to handle money. And today's topic is particularly uh, applicable because we're talking about destructive debt. How do you live beyond destructive debt? Our society values credit. I mean, you can buy anything today at any time with a credit card. Even on a plane in a foreign country, you can get on the internet and you can go onto Amazon. And by the time that you get home, whatever you purchase can be on your doorstep. It is amazing. In fact, most of you realize that uh, those credit card companies are are really, they're really our friends. I mean, I get more letters from those guys than I get from you guys, right? I mean, I have a stack of letters. I mean, apparently, I'm awesome. I mean, I get these all the time. You're the best, most creditworthy person in the world. And, uh, but you know what they're after? Newsweek, Newsweek Magazine reported that Americans are spending more than they make to the tune of 108% of their income. And that 8% difference is primarily made up in credit card debt. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, the wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus, which is Solomon, wrote, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. That's what we're doing. We're devouring all we have, and not only what we have, but more than we have. That's why we get into debt. But friends, this whole series is about you experiencing greater freedom in Christ by making wise financial choices. And by the way, this series, Living Beyond, does not mean living beyond your means. It comes from a story in 2 Corinthians where it said the Macedonian Christians gave even beyond. And they were in poverty, but they gave beyond and God blessed them. Now, there's a lot of helpful material out there by individuals like Larry Burkett, Ron Blue, Barry Cameron, Dave Ramsey, uh, that you can look into and develop more out of this idea that we're going to talk about today. Dave Ramsey actually experienced bankruptcy, and uh, around the same time he became a Christian, and so he started applying biblical principles to his own uh, life, and it ended up just totally transforming him and his thoughts about money. So today we're going to talk about the danger of debt, we're going to talk about why people get into debt, we're going to talk about how to get out of debt. In the middle of this today, you're going to hear a testimony of a couple who went through a hard time and came out of it on the other other side. Let's look first at the danger of debt. The Bible doesn't say debt is wrong, but it does teach it's dangerous. In the Bible, usually when debt is mentioned, it is a very negative thing. It's not prohibited, but it's strongly discouraged. The Bible does allow a person to go into debt. In fact, uh, they, they often would say that you could go into debt for a period of seven years. It would not be allowed to be taken beyond seven years in their, in their system. But today, the terms that we have for our mortgages can be 30 years. Sometimes, recently, they've come up with a 40-year note. The Bible starts, stops short of calling debt a sin, but it does strongly encourage you to avoid debt. That four-letter word. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And so anytime that you are entrusting yourself, you're putting your trust in the lender, you are now a slave to that lender because every time that bill comes in, it's due. Not only is it due, it's due with a lot of interest. Friends, listen, debt decreases your joy. It hampers your generosity. And I'm in particularly today talking about that dangerous bad debt, that consumer type debt. So if it's so bad, why do people do it? I think we get into debt because we overemphasize the importance of, of money and possessions. 
Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have wisdom to show restraint. Friends, don't misunderstand me. It's not wrong to possess things, but don't let them possess you. Don't believe the myths. Don't fall for the urban or suburban legends, if you will. If we just had more stuff, we'd be more happy. If we just had more stuff, we'd have more friends. If we just had more stuff, then I'd have more security. That's not true. I remember my first uh, job out of college, I wanted to uh, be a preacher, and nobody would hire a single 22-year-old preacher and so finally, I found a church in uh, Baltimore, Ohio. Anybody familiar with Baltimore, Ohio? I'm, I'm not surprised. There's not much there. Are you familiar with that? There's not much there. And, uh, except there is a little church there that I used to serve. And when I got there, there were 13 people for Sunday school the first day, 15 people for church. It wasn't large, but we had a great retention rate. And, uh, and so we were there, and they offered me, said, we'd love for you to be our preacher. They said, we're going to offer you a very generous pay package, you're going to make $85 a week. And that was it. That was it. Oh, and you're going to live with Harold and Winetta Matheny, and uh, you can live with them on the weekend. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. They were a retired couple. And, uh, and that's what I started out with. And I look back on those days, and I can honestly say I'm happier because I have my family and my wife. Um, I'm happier for those reasons. But truthfully, financially and possession-wise, I was just as contented back in 1992 as I am today in 2017. Money and possessions do not bring you happiness. And the truth is, the more stuff we have, often the more we worry about it, and the more we have to protect it and polish it and care for it, and the more we're concerned about it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But instead, what? Build for yourself treasure in heaven. So I think the first reason is we overemphasize the importance of money. The second is there is a pressure to buy and buy it now. Just look at the advertisements. You have to have this and you have to have it right now. And, and so much so that if you order something today, literally on Amazon, in many cases, you can get it the same day, the next day, or two days. It can be right there. This idea of satisfaction, instant satisfaction, can happen right now. Somebody said maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. And our culture has redefined normal, financially speaking. It's normal to have what your neighbors have. It's normal to use credit cards. It's normal to never pay them off fully. It's normal to live now at the level that your parents took 25 years to reach. Let me say something to all of you guys who are in high school or college. Learn to be content right now. Learn to be content. Let me tell you something. Just face it. You're going to be poor for a while, and that's okay. It's part of the process. We lived on crystal light and ramen noodles in college, and guess what? That's okay. It's okay. We survived. And i got to tell you guys that when you think about your life, part of growing through this is saying no to some things. One of the last things you want to do in college or in high school is incur a significant amount of debt as soon as we went on OU's campus with uh, Benjamin, one of the first things you see when you walk into the main room there or the main area is there's a table with credit cards for college students. Not only are they going to end up with college debt, they're going to end up with credit card debt as they leave. And friends, I'm just telling you, it'll strap you. It'll strap you. So the second reason is there's a pressure to buy and buy it now. The third is destructive behavior. This may not apply to everybody in here, but it does apply. Think about how much money we squander 
through self-destructive behavior, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational toll taken by drugs or alcohol, those who develop a habit. USA Today reported on how much money is lost in Las Vegas, those who gamble, $17 billion, that's what's lost in Las Vegas. Did you know the average American spends $1,100 on lottery tickets each year? typically not by the, bought by those who are wealthy or financially astute, typically bought by the poor. Proverbs twenty three twenty one says, Listen, drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. In other words, when they wake up from their, their drunken stupor the night before, they realize that drowsiness, it clothes them in rags. It brings poverty. What destructive behavior are you involved in that maybe is taking money from the account that instead could be given to savings or to giving? Number four, I think that one of the reasons is because we're not making a plan and sticking with it. A generation ago, in my parents' generation, it was easier to live within their means. Why? They didn't focus on credit card debt. It wasn't until the mid-1900s that that became uh, something of value to people. Back in my parents' day, they would put a cookie jar out. And when the cookie jar run out, guess what they did? They just didn't buy stuff. <laughs> and I know it's hard to believe, gang. It's hard to believe. But it is true. Once the money was gone, they just didn't buy things. They saved and they earned and they, they spent as needed. Remember that Lending Tree commercial that spoke to that point? The man in the commercial stated, I have a nice four-bedroom home. I live in a nice neighborhood. I have a beautiful family. I have a new car. I even have a country club membership. And he just goes on and on and on. And then just in the same way he said the rest of it, he goes, how do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. You guys remember that commercial? And that's how people do it today. That's far different than just a generation ago where people really did live within their means. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, evil men borrow and cannot pay back. In other words, just, just saying, listen, I, I don't care, but a good man returns what he owes and, and he has extra besides is the, is the right way to live. You return what you owe and you might have extra besides, but you don't overspend. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into the world, you can take nothing out of it, but if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Are you content today? In your own life, are you content? Or do you look around at everybody else and say, I wish I had that, and then you put yourselves in a financial position where you have no margin at all because you have overspent? Number five, I think one of the reasons we get into debt is because we face hardships. We are unprepared for hardship. Proverbs 27, 12 says, a prudent man foresees the danger ahead and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Those who are prudent can see ahead. We have to plan for the future. Proverbs 21, 20 just says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. A wise man saves for the future. Listen, friends, you have to realize car repairs happen. Medical issues will happen. Kids get ear infections. Kids need braces. You might have a sudden loss of income or loss of job. You might have to start caring for an elderly parent out of the blue. Sometimes we can control things. Sometimes we can't. Are you prepared for the future? I've invited today uh, Randy and Amy Rose to come up and share their testimony. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were at a, our community group, 
and we were talking about how to get through difficult times, and they shared a really powerful story about how God led them through a challenging time in their life. So would you guys just welcome them up to the stage?
They told that story at group. Our group was spellbound by what they were sharing with us and how God had blessed them. And I remember Amy saying before all of this, they weren't really faithful to the Lord um, in terms of finances. But after it, it totally changed their perspective, totally allowed them to be more faithful to God. And she said, never again will we go back to not uh, not giving to the Lord and, and doing our part there. <clears throat> you know, God is faithful to us. One of the reasons we hear other stories from other people is, uh, is, is we know God is in control. We know that God does have a plan. And what I want to do just for a few minutes as we close is, is talk to you about sort of that plan. What is it that God lays out in his scripture about a plan on how do we move from here to here? How do we move from really being uh, controlled by debt to getting out of debt? And one of them is I think we really do have to determine whose money it really is. As long as you think that your money and possessions are your money and possessions, God doesn't bless that attitude. He just doesn't. When I realized that uh, God owns it all and I have the ability to participate in that as, as I'm faithful, God is always faithful. I think it makes a huge difference. Proverbs 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How many of you know you love your kids, right? And how many of you know when your kids, you want to give them uh, the best of the best. You don't want to spoil them, but you want to take good care of them, right? You want to help feed them and clothe them and take good care of them. And, uh, and especially when they are thankful, when they have the right attitude, and, uh, and when they are generous in return. What does that make you want to do? That one makes you, makes you want to bless them more. But what do you want to do for a kid who doesn't use their money well, their room's a disaster, they waste their possessions all the time? What does that make? And they're not grateful for it. What does that make you want to do as a parent? You know, I'm not giving you anything else, Jack. You're a wasting you're wasting the money, and you're not a good steward of what I've given you. But when that child is generous and when they take care of their things, it just makes you want to bless them all the more. And don't you think God's like that? When you waste resources 
when you don't take care of things, when you don't have a plan, when you're not generous, and when you're not thankful. I think God doesn't bless those things. The scripture is very clear. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and, become, and comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. So I think that you have to determine whose money it really is. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And if you sow a heart of generosity, then I think you reap uh, generously. If you sow a heart of greed and debt and a lack of appreciation, then that's what you will receive. Number two, devise a financial plan. Call it a strategy, call it a budget, whatever. Rick Warren one time said a budget is nothing more than a spending diet. It enables you to watch where the money goes and to control how it's used. But the challenge is to make the plan, first of all, and to stick with the plan. If you're like most married couples, one of you is a spender, one of you is a saver. One of you is a planner, one of you is more spontaneous. And so one of you wants to do the budget. The other one is like, I'm not doing a budget. One of you says, come on, this would be a great idea. The other one says, over my dead body, I'm not doing that. And there becomes a lot of conflict. Most marriage conflict now is over this issue of money and resources. And if you're married, you have to do this in a united way. Come together and say, we're going to budget, we're going to plan. If you're single, let me encourage you, have a friend step in next to you that you can be accountable with. Somebody close to you, you can ask and tell them how you're doing so there's uh, some accountability. The number two cause for divorce is infidelity. The number one is struggle with finances in your marriage. Lisa and I have struggled over money as well, just like many of you. We've debated, we've uh, had issues and arguments over this topic. We have learned over the years, though, what's important to one and what's important to the other. What needs to be let go of on the one and what needs to be let go of in the other. We really are learning to give and to take. But I think the financial essence of what we've done from the beginning, those big things have always been there. That we would, number one, always give to the Lord, no matter where we were, how we were doing financially. That I, and then after that, she would trust me with the big decisions. And I would trust her with everything else. That's been our plan. So basically, every other little thing she does, all those daily things, and uh, and then the big things, then those are the things that fall in my uh, my uh, my my realm. I don't. I'm not saying that's a good plan. It's just how we made it work. Amen. <laughs> now listen, it, when you when you're making a purchase, I think you should ask yourselves these questions. Number one, will this cause my generosity to the Lord and others to diminish? Number two, is this in my budget? Number three, is this a necessity or is it a luxury? You're about to make a purchase. Will this cause my generosity to the Lord and the other and, and others to diminish? Is it in my budget? Is it a necessity or a luxury? Can I pay cash for it or do I have to try to get it on credit? And if I do get it on credit, can I pay it off this month? Number five, am I willing to wait 24 hours before purchasing so I can pray about it, so I can talk to my spouse or my friend about it, and I can prove that it's not an impulse? Are you willing to wait at least a day uh, to say, I don't know if I need this or if I do or if it's just an impulse purchase? Proverbs 27, verse 23 says, Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Know the condition of your flocks. Know what you have, 
know what you have the ability to purchase, set that plan in motion, and make sure that you're ready. And parents, let me just encourage you. Don't give your kids everything that they want. Don't fail to teach them the meaning of the word no. Half of wanting is waiting. Today, the average college undergrad has over $2,700 in college credit card debt on top of their student loans. Ron Blue one time said getting into debt is as easy as going down an ice-covered mountain. Getting out of debt is just as difficult as climbing back up that same mountain. It's not easy to get out, but it's easy to get in. And friends, my hope is that you will aggressively say, we as a family are going to move toward getting out of debt, setting a financial plan so that we have more margin in our finances, so that we can even be more generous, more willing to share, and more more willing to prepare for our future. The last thing I would say is just today, just make a commitment, we're not going to incur any more bad debt. In other words, I'm not talking about your mortgage. And by the way, when you buy your house, don't overspend. Be able to do it in a way that, that you can actually handle that. But don't get into any more bad debt. That sounds so obvious, but it's overlooked. I, I don't want to talk in generalities when it comes to age groups, but, but typically those over the age of 70 do much better at avoiding debt than those in our 30s and 40s. Maybe it was due to the Depression. But for whatever reason, those in our generation in 30s, 40s, 50s have well a tendency to get into debt far more often. And we need to honestly look at that and say, if our parents could do it, why can't we? So friends, I'm just encouraging you, start today and just say, as a couple, we need to set a plan. In, in, February, or in January this year, January 15th, we're having uh, Financial Peace University here at Axis, and Frank Wright from our church is going to be our, our host for that. I want to encourage you guys, if you don't have a plan, use that plan. It's a proven plan. It's not the only plan. There are other financial plans out there. Go to your Christian bookstore. Look up books by Larry Burkett. Go through his plan. But whatever it is, set that plan together. Begin to work through it. And remember what the Bible says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Larry Burkett used to say, when you get into debt, you make someone else your master. Nobody can serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve money. And the majority of the Americans today sadly serve money. And I'm just calling us at Axis Church to a higher master. To a higher master. Debt is dangerous, friends. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't close this message with a, with a gospel presentation. Debt is dangerous, but I can tell you this, the debt that you owed for your sin was well more dangerous than the debt that you have financially. And uh, surprisingly, there is something worse than money and the debt that we owe, and that's the debt that when we, have, when we are spiritually bankrupt, when we have sin in our lives. That's our greatest debt. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Talk about an empty feeling. So what's your strategy to get out of that debt? Did you know that somebody came and took care of your obligation? The debt that you owed, paid for it as well. He didn't walk in the bank and pull out some cash. Instead, he walked on Calvary and took up the cross so that you wouldn't have to pay that debt. That's what the Bible says. And so I'm just asking you, if you're going to get your finances right, you first have to get your spiritual life right. This is a spiritual issue. You first have to get your heart right with the Lord. How do you do that? 
First of all, if you've already become a Christian, I would encourage you to spend some time today during this worship song to just repent, to say, God, I'm sorry, I've misplaced priorities. God, I've got some sin in my life I need to eradicate. God, I've got some mismanagement issues with money in my life I need to work through. I have a a, a marriage issue or a family issue that we need to work through. So you just need to be asking, God, I, God, I want to restore and renew my relationship with you and others. If you've never become a Christian, the Bible is very clear. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that he paid your debt. Confess that belief to other people. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's my Lord, my Savior. Repent of your sins, which just means I want to turn away from my old past life, even if you're a good person, and say I want to turn toward Christ, my Redeemer, my Savior. And then all through the scripture, we're taught through the New Testament that people who believed in Jesus, they, they submitted their heart, their life. They were buried in baptism. They were raised to new life. And that was a momentous occasion because it really demonstrated our death to an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way to process things, an old simple life. And you were raised, just like Jesus was raised, to live a new life, to live in new ways of thinking, to live in freedom. And so if you've never made those decisions, I want to ask you today, would you make that decision? We have an invitation time at the end of every service, and uh, I usually sit over here. You can just come, just come stand right beside me and say, I want to make that decision. I want to know more about what it means to become a Christian. And uh, that's the starting place, guys. You want to get out of debt? You want to be right? Financially, you have to first be right spiritually. That's what we're calling you to. God, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the message today. Thank you for the testimony of Randy and Amy. God, thank you for their life, their example. And God, for the hardship, one of the things they shared in our group. That they, Randy said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, as, as difficult as all of that was, I wouldn't have redone that because it taught us things. We learned things about our family. We learned things about who we are. And so God, out of tragedy, out of challenge, out of hardship was born a new life, a new realization. And so, God, we are asking for that today for people in this room, that they would move from darkness to light. They would move from a dark understanding to an enlightened understanding of what your word says. And they would move, God, to live in newness of life. God, we love you. We praise you. And now we worship you in Jesus' name.